Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. Good morning, my name is Amy. I have new life in Christ, and I'm recovering from insecurity and anxiety. Before recovery, my life was riddled with anxiety. If I encountered a new situation with lots of unknowns, I'd feel anxious. When expectations of me were unclear, I'd experience anxiety. When people in my life would react with strong emotions or in unpredictable ways, anxiety would increase. So this sort of ever-present anxiety precipitated regular feelings of insecurity and hesitation to engage in new situations and new relationships. Trust was something that was slow to develop as I would watch carefully to determine if a person was safe before trusting and connecting. And safe for me meant that they were predictable, reasonable, and not likely to leave me. I had a relationship with God from an early age, but I hadn't really connected the dots that God's love for me meant that I could go to him with my emotions, anxiety, and insecurity. I knew my salvation from sin was because of what Jesus did for me, but I didn't know how to trust God with my fears, and I didn't understand that a different kind of life was available to me in Christ. As I got older, my anxiety manifested in frustration, which is really just the nice church girl word for anger. Uh, It surfaced, especially in conflict situations at work. I remember incidents in my job at the rec center when a parent would have a complaint. I would dwell on that negative comment for days and talk about that parent and their complaint to everyone who'd listen and would feel so angry about it. And the root of that angry response was fear that I had not lived up to what was expected of me. I had learned to mask anxiety with a little bit of aggression so that I could appear stronger than I felt inside. So my hunt for security in life often led to looking to family or friends to fulfill that need. In a way, I was using the people in my life to meet a need that wasn't theirs to meet. And that put a lot of pressure on my relationships. Looking to others for security also meant that I had a deep fear of losing those relationships, kind of being abandoned and left alone to deal with life on my own. In 2011, my dad became sick with cancer and passed away. The grief over the loss of my dad rocked my world and my notion that I could depend on people to provide me with security and support. It was like the rug was pulled out from under me and I was flailing in the air, trying to spot the ground and land on my feet, but I just kept spinning. Anxiety ruled most of my days and led to a serious episode of depression. That year, I called 911 because I was sure I was having a heart attack, when in fact my heart was quite healthy, it was actually more of a panic attack. Even though I went to counseling to work on how to grieve well, I started having suicidal ideations and felt unsafe with myself. I spent a week in an inpatient psych hospital, and while I wouldn't want to go back, I'm glad that I went. I was so tired of battling the anxiety and desperate for change. I turned to God because I couldn't manage anxiety any longer. I continued in counseling and gained a greater understanding of myself and my tendencies, and that season helped me to grow and experience some recovery. 
Well, several years later, when I participated in our first regeneration group here at KRBC, which was back in 2019, my depression was under control and the grief over my dad's death was less painful. And in that season, though, my best friend and roommate of 15 years was planning to get married. And some of those familiar fears and insecurities began to resurface with the thought of her moving to a new phase of life that didn't include me in the same way. Well, this, would be a great, this was a great loss in grief that surfaced again. In the first few meetings during groundwork, I felt hesitant to share openly, and I was kind of embarrassed that the same old issues of insecurity were rising within me again. But as I showed up at the meetings and did the work, I was reminded that I'm not alone in my brokenness. God was with me and had given me a wonderful group of ladies to journey with. He reminded me nearly every day as I met with him over the regen material that he loved me and he wasn't annoyed that I was still dealing with the patterns of misplaced worship. Romans 7, 18 says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. That was the foundation verse for step one, admit. Right off the bat, in the first step, I was challenged to acknowledge my weakness. I had to admit that I don't have what I need to be secure in my flesh, and if I don't have it, then no other human has it either. As we moved on to step two, believe, and step three, trust, God reminded me that when I am weak, he is strong. He's the one who loves me like a good father, but different from my earthly father, he would never leave me. Deuteronomy 31.8 says that the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. God was showing me that there is hope and security in trusting him for all the guidance and support I was always looking for in people. I began to turn to God with my fears and anxiety, and I actually began to believe that I might not be destined to always repeat the patterns of seeking my security from relationships. So God is still working on me, and I still experience anxiety and insecurity from time to time, but I'm getting better at talking to God about that and allowing him to reassure me. I know I am secure in him even though I mess up and still clamor to find earthly things to help me feel stable. He is there reminding me that he loves me and he's got me. I found step 10 to be so helpful and I try to practice it regularly. Step 10, continue, says we continue to examine our lives and when we sin, promptly confess and turn to walk with Christ. Practicing the process of allowing God to examine my heart helps me acknowledge my weakness and quickly recognize when I'm placing my trust in something or someone other than God. Because of those times with Jesus, I'm developing a deeper trust in God which allows me to enjoy my relationships without looking to them to meet my needs for security. God's work through regeneration has also helped me become more at peace with my own emotions. He invites me to slow down long enough to allow him to gently peel back the layers of my heart and get to those ouchy spots that still cause pain. The myth I had lived by was that I could put a protective shell around my emotions to keep them locked away so they couldn't hurt me. God debunked that myth and showed me that true healing happens when I acknowledge those feelings to him. My wounds need to come into the light where healing can happen. I'm not going to lie, it can be painful to uncover, uncover your wounds to God for healing, but the result of attempting to manage and cover the wounds caused me to live under the weight of anxiety and depression. 
which was not living the free and abundant life that Jesus promised me. I'm thankful that I get to live free from all those self-protective ways. I'm thankful for how God used regeneration to bring about change in me. I've never experienced any program like it. The daily work challenges me to answer real, heart-level questions that help me grow and heal. It's also unlike any other group I've been in. The Regeneration Circle is a place where I can share my thoughts and what God reveals to me in a safe, warm, and welcoming group. So that's my story. By the grace of Jesus, I get to live in the secure freedom he gives. What a blessing regeneration has been in my life, and oh, how I long for every person to experience the fullest life God has to offer. Participating in, participating in regeneration is an invitation to stop working so hard to carry all the griefs, struggles, disappointments, hurts, and habits on your own, and let God bear those burdens for you. He loves you. I encourage you to come to Regeneration and give him a chance to show it. My name is Amy, and I have new life in Christ, and because of his deep love for me, I'm recovering from insecurity and anxiety. Beautiful. Thank you, Amy. Let me pray. Father, what a beautiful testimony of your work in our dear sister Amy's life. Thank you that you are the God of comfort, of security, of peace. The God who calls us to not live anxious lives, but to cast our cares on you. Would you be with us as we open your word, as we consider what you have for us today? Would you open our hearts to hear your invitation to comfort? Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Josh. And as you can tell, I've got a little voice thing going on. Does that sound as bad to you as it does to me? Everybody's like, no, it doesn't sound that bad. And in my mind, I sound, you know, like a, a chronic smoker. But <clears throat> we'll see if we can uh, see if we can get through it. We, uh, we're, we're doing a little mini-series uh, where we're looking at some of the themes uh, around our regeneration ministry. We, uh, our tradition here is to pick a book of the Bible and walk straight through, but we're taking a little pause in our journey through Mark uh, to just kind of savor some of the truths of Scripture as it pertains to, uh, to, to transformation. Jesus' good news that he came uh, to make us new, not just get us out of hell, uh, not just get us into heaven, but to make us new creations. Let me tell you a story about Marge. Marge was a member of the first church I pastored up in Michigan, and when I met her, she was in her mid-80s. She'd been a member of that church for over 60 years. Marge was orphaned when she was around 10 years old. Both her parents died, and she was the youngest child, so she went to live with uh, her married sister, her, si her older sister who had just got married. Uh, and felt unwanted and like an interruption to their newlywed life from a very young age. So she got married as soon as she could to, when she was 19, to a man named Jim, who was a World War II vet. And though she didn't use this term, um, I, I, would, I would guess that Jim had PTSD pretty badly and was pretty much only okay when he was working at his auto body shop. In her early years of marriage, over the course of a little over two years, Marge birthed and buried two children within the first weeks of their lives. Before she was 25, she'd buried her parents and two kids. 
When her husband was in his early 60s, he was mowing the grass at the church building. And he stopped in the middle and sat down on the steps, leaned his back against the glass doors, had a heart attack and died, leaving Marge a widow in her late 50s. The amount of grief that Marge experienced in her life was just overwhelming to think about. So it might not surprise you that despite being a member of the church for decades, many, many sermons and Bible studies, Marge was one of the most unpleasant and sad people I'd ever met. And that came out in a lot of, as Amy said, anger. Anger is a surface emotion. There's normally fear, sadness underneath. Uh, When I was voted in as pastor, she was the only one who voted against me, and she let me know it early and often in my time there. Strange experience. She was stuck in this crippling fear. Her husband literally died serving, was going to close. And then a ferocious determination to oppose any change that might help it grow or survive. She would come to budget-making meetings, which were open to anyone, I guess, at that church, and just heckle the team over any dollar that she didn't want. It was just, it was tough. But a a small light of mercy, Marge came to this senior's Bible study that I led on Thursday afternoons, and and that's where I got to know some of her story. And, And tragically, I got, that's where I saw her church family learn her story for the first time. After decades of going to church, many didn't know that she'd been orphaned. Many of her closest church friends didn't know that she had buried children. It was so sad to me. Her own church family didn't know about some of these deepest losses in her life. The leaders and I spent a lot of time trying to listen to her. She, and she was kind of part of this group of ladies in a similar state, um, listen to what she wanted, validate her concerns, and on some level, just try to throw her a bone, like just try to make her happy. But she was so conflicted within herself, caught in such a swirl of emotions, that even if we just wanted to agree and make her happy, we couldn't. It was like, it, it, it was a whack-a-mole, you know. Was... And I tell this story because today we're going to talk about grief. Kind of talking about these four weeks, we've kind of talked about different entry points into regeneration ministry. It could be addiction, recovery, mental health, and it could also just be grief. And Marge's story shows us that simply being in church, coming to Sunday school, filling out Operation Christmas Child boxes every Christmas does not mean that you and I as Christians are experiencing a relationship with Jesus that can heal our wounds. I'm not trying to throw Marge under the bus. It's just one of the deep sorrows of my life to to be with someone so angry at me who I know is hurting so badly, to be with someone who's like coming at me that I just want to hug. And she's had no space to access those tender, grieving parts of herself. And so it came out in all this other distractions, all these other angry distractions. Last week, we talked to the men uh, about 
the invitation to be fathered by God, though, of course, it applied to the women as well. Today, I want to speak to the seniors amongst us, the, the prime timers, if you will, 55 and up. Of course, everything we talk about today, I think, does also apply to those younger than that. Um, but I think as we age, the great challenge, the great challenge in our later years of life or to grieve well. I know I'm young. You can feel free to blow me off as just, you know, a young whippersnapper or whatever. But from what I've observed and how other older mentors have coached me, this is the great invitation from God in our older years. A great invitation, a great challenge of discipleship in our older years of life. Discipleship doesn't end when you pray the prayer. It doesn't end when you hit 55 and you can just you know, retire on into heaven. Discipleship continues forever, all the way into eternity. And the great challenge is to have the courage to feel our emotions and take them to the Father who can comfort us and heal us. Let me read our text for us this morning. This is one of the key texts of the regeneration ministry. It says Isaiah 61, verses one through three. I invite you to turn in your Bibles there. The spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Behold our king. This is what the anointed one will do, the Messiah will do. This passage is about Jesus. And of course, there's a lot we could say about this passage, but can we just fall into the beauty of healing contained in this picture of the Messiah's redeeming mission on the earth? He will bind up the brokenhearted, those who feel shattered, like their heart is in pieces, falling out of their chest and tinkling on the ground will be bound up. He will comfort those who mourn. And for those who feel like their life is in ashes, he will give a crown of beauty, oil of joy for those in grief and dress people in joyful praise instead of despair. Friends, central to God's cosmic plan of Jesus coming to earth is to provide comfort and healing for you and me in our grief. At the core of the gospel is healing. In fact, the Greek word we often translate salvation can also be translated uh, healing. It's sozo in Greek, and you can see it translated multiple ways in your English New Testament. Salvation, you see it in the English word, salve, like a salve that heals you. Yes, we need forgiveness from our sins. 
But according to the Bible, and I think way underappreciated by most Christians, is that you and I need healing from our sorrows, from our grief. We need joy found in the communion with Jesus and his people. So an outline for us this morning, if we can get through it all, voice-wise, is we're going to just look at grief according to the world and grief according to the Bible. Spoiler alert, they're different. And then the last two points are really just one point, which is grief will either make you bitter or grief will make you better. Those are the only two choices. First, we have contrasting views of grief between the world and the Bible. We are a country. I'm nervous to say this. We're a country, a civilization that is partially founded at on what? The unalienable right to what? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. According to the Declaration of Independence, the foundation of political liberty is the right to every person to pursue his or, own, his or her own personal happiness. To throw it a bone, on one hand, this is insightful. I think human, this is how humans were created, to pursue something. Like we're arrows going somewhere. God himself has put a hunger for himself in in the heart of everyone. But on the other hand, to what degree does this underlying belief, whether you have the Declaration of Independence memorized or not, help us navigate grief and loss, the pursuit of happiness? What does grief and loss do to our pursuit of happiness? Nothing. It's an interruption Woven into the deepest underlying beliefs of our culture is the assumption that we're pursuing happiness. That the story of our lives, if we're doing it right, is linear and it's up and to the right. Onward, upward, more, better, stronger, faster, richer, healthier, sweeter, more comfortable. This is in the founding documents of our civilization. And so if we face any grief or loss, it's a threat to our pursuit. It's an interruption to our pursuit, our God-given right. If you have ears to hear, I propose to you that we all, myself very much included, have absorbed this cultural understanding that the purpose of life is our, is our own happiness and however we want to define it. And that's, we, we let our cultural understanding of the purpose in life and our cultural understanding or lack thereof of suffering and grief define our worldview more than we have let the Bible do it. Because our cultural understanding is that grief and loss has no value. It's something to make stop as soon as possible. And if we can't, it's something that we are entitled to numb ourselves from. If there's some pain you can't avoid, then you know, you're entitled to a drink. You're entitled to extra fun- comfort food. I mean, that's what we call our, our American cuisine. It's comfort food. We have to, you know, like to get fancy food, we got to go to other countries because all we do is meat and potatoes. In our society, in no other time in history, have we lived in a time where we can medicate. We, can, we have anesthesia of our choice. Food, pornography, shopping, movies and TV, traveling, spa days. So what then is the Bible's understanding of grief and loss, pain and suffering? 
Well, to put it into a sentence, God redeems grief by using it to draw us closer to him. God is able to redeem the brokenness and pain of sin in our own lives that that we've done, sin that's been done to us, and allow that sin and suffering to point us to the healing that's found in him. What we see over and against the linear up and to the right story of our culture is instead this cyclical, seasonal um, narrative that happens in Scripture. You see this in Psalm 1 where it says, A righteous man is like a tree planted beside a flowing stream that produces fruit in season. Not all the time. It's not always harvest. You see this in, we talked about this in our journey through, through Mark. The defining narrative of the life of everyone, I think, but especially Christians, is death and resurrection. We follow our Savior who goes through death and resurrection, death and new life. It's this cyclical thing. That's what we're living right now in the change of seasons. The marquee story from scriptures that points this out is Job. Job uh, is in the Old Testament. He's a morally upright man and loses everything in one day. Children, land, his physical health, his job. The only thing he didn't lose was his wife, who he probably wanted to lose. She's not a pleasant lady. His kids all die. His enemies come and take everything. And that happens, Job is 42 chapters long. And all that happens within the first few chapters. And so then we get 35-ish chapters of Job, his friends, and his wife trying to make sense of what seems like senseless suffering. His wife says, curse God and die, just give up. That's despair. His friends are like, it's probably something you did, Job. You probably did something bad and God's punishing you. That's moralism, karma, all this wrestling for 30-some chapters. And then in verse 38, God shows up. After 30-some chapters of all these questions, of his friends asking dumb questions, of Job pouring his heart out, these, these questions to God, this is God shows up. And what does God give Job? Does God give Job answers? No. He gives Job's questions. We have four chapters of God asking questions like, This is in chapter 38. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? 38 verse 8. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? 38 verse 12. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? God shows up and doesn't give Job any answers for his suffering. Instead, What is he doing? He's asking questions that reveal to Job who God is. He's revealing himself to Job in his suffering. According to the Bible, what Job needed in his suffering was in his staggering grief and loss was a bigger picture of who God was. And after those four chapters of questions from God, look how Job responds. I had heard about you 
but now my eyes have seen you. I believed in you some since, God, I had heard of you. I would heard the stories. I generally acknowledged that you were around. But now I see you. Job in his suffering, when he pours out his heart and pours out his grief and loss to God, God shows up and reveals himself. Not with clean, tidy answers, but with his presence. And puts Job's suffering and grief in its proper place. A suffering and grief, grief, not grease, excuse me. According to the Bible, suffering and grief, this side of the fall is one of the primary ways that God has ordained to reveal to us who he is and bring healing and deep satisfaction in our souls. What's the line that we all know from the most famous psalm? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Does it ever strike you? It's not a plea to get out of the valley of the shadow of death or don't let me go in the valley of the shadow of death. No, it's the promise that God is the God who goes with us into the darkness, into the valley. Does it with crystal clear clarity. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Do you see that? Mature and complete, lacking nothing. Through trials, refining and testing our faith. First, Peter would give us the image of gold being refined by fire and the impurities being burnt away. The shallow desires in our hearts, the false ways we've come to be in the world. You heard that in Amy's testimony. She had a certain way of being and then with the suffering and grief of her dad passing away, it was exposed and some work had to be done. There was a fire of suffering. And in many ways, I experienced the mercy of God in the fire of that first church. It was a pretty tough few years of ministry, fresh out of seminary. I had all these visions of what church I wanted church to be like or what I thought a successful church looked like or what the most important things were as a pastor. I had this dream, it's embarrassing to say, of, you know, I was coming to a, a dying church and I was going to revitalize it and then get invited to speaking conferences and you know, maybe write a book or something fancy. But after years of walking through life with people like Marge, so much of the outward expressions of what I thought church could be like or should look like were just burned away. Who cares? What kind of outward success we have or the survival of a church if our lives aren't marked by joy and love and peace, the fruit of the Spirit? If in the power of the spirit, as Philippians says, our reasonableness isn't known to all. I realized the vanity that was involved in my original visions of what church and pastoral ministry could be like. And what really matters? What really matters is life with God. 
life with his people and the power of the spirit. These loving, vulnerable, transformative relationships where we bear each other's burdens. It was such a gift to have four years of hard knock ministry that was suffering. Four years of getting beat up and making mistakes and crying with Camille on the couch. And because I married a godly woman, she often says that she's, she was so, Camille often says that she's so glad that I kind of got beat up, that my first church was hard because by the grace of God, she liked who I became coming out of it. Um, and she shudders to think what I would be like if my first few years of ministry had just been this up and to the right success. And that brings us to our second point, or kind of two points that are one. It's suffering will make us bitter or it will make us better. And I submit to you, those are the only two options. There's no middle ground. Suffering will either be a means of refinement and drawing near to God, seeing him more fully, experiencing a peace that surpasses our understanding, or it will harden us, isolate us, and become our cage, be something that imprisons us. It will come out. The human soul is porous, meaning the human soul cannot keep its emotions contained. Some of us are world-class emotion stuffers. To be honest, I wish I was more like you. That's not me. Pray for Camille. Some of us can keep what we're feeling inside covered up for a very long time. But friend, it will come out. It does come out. Maybe you're a volcano that can lie silent and dormant doing nothing for decades and then burning sulfur, lava everywhere. Or maybe it's like a festering wound that stinks and kind of leaks into our relationships. It leaks out in sarcasm and cynicism, a critical spirit of yourself, of anyone who does anything differently than you would do it. Your grief will leak out of you and onto those you love. Your grief will come out one way or the other. Your spouse, your friends, your kids, your church family. Maybe you're wondering why your kids don't call. Could it be because your grief leaks out in every phone call? And managing our grief becomes the the controlling reality of our lives, hiding it, keeping things functional. When we do not take courage and process our grief with the God who has revealed himself as the God of all comfort. We slowly leak our pain and we just try to bring it back in with another TV show, another beer, another fast food drive-through. Grief can make us bitter or better. It can make us stuck and isolated or it can draw us out into our father's arms. That James passage where it says it makes us complete lacking nothing. That means that there's something lacking. Isn't that crazy? There's something lacking before our trial when we don't let God make us whole. It can make us bitter. 
leaking a slow death until we die, sad and alone, imprisoned by our grief. Or here's an, an image of the other way. Grief making us better, of brokenness making us better. This is the Japanese art of kintsugi. Kintsugi is an art form that takes broken pottery and then the craftsman uses gold to repair it. And the result is breathtaking. Like Google image search, kintsugi art. And because, listen, this is like, this is too much. Because it's repaired with gold, a kintsugi piece, a, broke, a formerly broken piece, is worth significantly more than it was before it was shattered. How beautiful is that? This is how God works, friend. If you will let him, if you will show up to the work that he wants to do in your grief. Our text in Isaiah 61 talks about this exchange in verse three, where it says he will, for those who grieve in Zion, he will bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. This isn't just like God piecing you together with clunky, ugly glue. The beauty of the gospel, the power of God's redemption is that he makes you more beautiful for having been broken and for having submitted to his healing work in your lives. And this is why I earnestly want to invite you to consider regen, regeneration on Tuesday nights as a way to work through your grief and loss. It's not a silver bullet, but it is a direct path to hold those broken parts of you before God and let him heal you with gold. And especially the prime timers amongst us, would you consider it? Like, oh, I'm too old for that, or I'm too, it's too late. I heard another pastor say, we will all live Job's story. Only instead of it happening all in a day for Job, for us, it happens over 80 or 90 years, kind of once, one, one thing at a time. We lose our jobs. It's called retirement, but it's still a loss. Our friends die. Our kids get busy and move away. We lose our health. We lose so much as we age. I know I haven't been here very long, but I feel it. I feel just like a atmosphere of grief and so much of what's said at Carl Road. Maybe it's personal grief or maybe we're, we're grieving losses that we've experienced as a church family. Here at Carl Road, ministries that no longer happen, <clears throat> you know, the, the choir that we no longer have, people who have died or moved away, And I hope we can just be honest about the sadness of this season that we're in as a church family. Yes, I think there is a lot to be hopeful and excited for. That's why I took the job. But we don't have to rush past the loss and grief that many of us are experiencing right now. And as your, as your pastor, I long for you to experience comfort that I read about in the Bible that I, I believe is available for you. But also as your pastor, I want you to experience comfort from grief, not just for you. Look at how our passage ends at the end of verse three. 
They get a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, and it says they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. When we receive the healing work of Jesus in our lives, we become like oaks, healthy trees rooted and grounded in God's love and displaying God's splendor. What I'm saying is your healing, I think what the Bible's saying, your healing from grief is not just for you. As a younger person, I selfishly long to be around older saints who have let God repair their pain and brokenness with gold, who have allowed their grief to draw them them deeper into God's comfort and love, and who can, from that place of healing, proclaim God's splendor. The same church where Marge was a member, there was an older woman named Sue. She was also orphaned at a young age, and she was actually raised, she was old school, raised in an orphanage, like before foster care. And she was a widow who had been married to an alcoholic for decades. Had a lot of brokenness in her relationship with her sons. And she joined our church family a couple years into my time there as a force of joy, encouragement. She was, you know, she was, I think, pushing 80, and she joined a small group full of mostly younger people in their 20s or 30s. And guys, when Sue spoke up, everybody listened. And it wasn't because she was saying things that we'd never heard before or insights that we hadn't thought of ourselves. It was because the gravitas, the weight that it was for someone like Sue who had suffered like Sue to say, the Lord has been good to me. In the darkness and confusion, stay firm because God will bring about restoration and healing. She had lived the promises of God. And so when she spoke, we saw the gold. She spoke honestly about her pain. She didn't minimize it. She spoke of her decades of depression and she didn't pretend she wasn't a vase that was shattered. Instead, she spoke of God's goodness. And prime timers, that, that's what your church family needs. Would you consider regeneration this year as a practical step, a courageous, scary step to allow the love of God to touch on your grief, to fill your brokenness with gold? And ultimately, running out of time, But ultimately, what's the foundation for our hope for healing? What's the the foundation of uh, our belief that God is someone who can take something awful and ugly and so painful and turn it into something beautiful? It's our crucified Savior on the cross. The entire foundation of why we are here is our King who was exalted to a cross and crushed for my sake. And as the prophet says, it is by his wounds we are healed. So would you draw near to the wounded healer? Let me pray. Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. 
If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.